Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations proudly present Dime Store Radio Theater! And now that it is officially December, Dime Store Radio Theater is flipping over to holiday programming to help keep you in the spirit all month long. Dime Store Radio Theater goes to the movies this year with feature presentations each week offering romance, adventure, and seasonal tidings that will make you feel like you've been under the mistletoe all night long. This time of year is a terrifying and lonely torment on our minds and souls. So let Dime Store Radio Theater be the guiding light this holiday with simple distractions to help pass the time. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me Miracle on 34th Street by the Lux Radio Theater. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, and Edmund Gwen in Miracle on 34th Street. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Our Christmas present to you is the new Christmas classic of our time, Miracle on 34th Street. It's wrapped in a gay covering of laughter, tied with a bright ribbon of good humor, and decorated with the three sparkling stars of the 20th Century Fox picture. Reno O'Hara, John Payne, and Edmund Gwen. This is a wonderful story for the whole family. And perhaps some families may be gathered around a Christmas tree as they listen. Others will be putting up this happy sign of the season in a few days with lights and ornaments. Lux Radio Theater is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. And with only five shopping days left until the big day later this week, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides, pies, or extra LPs, and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. And now, we return you to Lux Radio Theater, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. Right now, it's curtain time for the play that proves there's a Santa Claus. Miracle on 34th Street, starring Maureen O'Hara as Doris, John Payne as Fred, and Edmund Gwen in his Academy Award-winning performance as Chris Kinkle. It's Thanksgiving Day in New York City. On a broad avenue adjoining Central Park, an annual event is being joyfully awaited. A spectacular parade presented by Macy's Department Store to herald in the Christmas season. Away from the crowd are two of Macy's public relations experts. He's simply wonderful, Mrs. Walker. Just look at him on that float. The most realistic Santa Claus we've ever had. 
Why, he didn't even need any padding, did he? Padding? Why, didn't you notice his tummy? So round, so firm, so fully packed. Well, now that everything's under control, where on earth did you find him? I, I don't know. I, I just turned around and there he was. And to think that the man whose place he took was intoxicated. With a breath that would knock over a reindeer. Oh, just think if Mr. Macy had seen him. What if Mr. Gimble had seen him? Competition between our stores is tough enough. <laughs> well, the parade's starting. Let's stand at the curb. Not I, Mr. Shellhammer. I'm going home to relax. Anyway, I can see it from there. I live just around the corner. Oh, so you do. Well, I'll see you tomorrow, Mrs. Walker. And congratulations on finding the best Santa Claus in Macy's history. Certainly is a wonderful parade, Susan. Just look at that clown. Gosh, what a giant. Giant, Mr. Gailey? There are no such things as giants. Well, not now, maybe, but in olden days, there's... Really, Mr. Gailey? And you're a lawyer. Well, what about the giant that Jack killed? You know, Jack and the Beanstalk? Everybody knows that's a fairy tale. And I agree with my mother. Fairy tales are silly. Come in. Mr. Gailey invited me. Hello, darling. Susie's told me quite a lot about you, Mrs. Walker. She told me quite a lot about you, too, the man in the front apartment. Well, this is all part of a plot, Mrs. Walker. I'm very fond of Susie, but I I also wanted to meet you. Mr. Frank. Oh, don't even mention the name. Why not, Mother? Well, that Santa Claus you see is a last-minute substitute. But why? Oh, Remember the way the janitor was last New Year's? Oh, my. Tight as an owl. I, um, I see Susan doesn't believe in Santa Claus either. That's right. She never has. Well, that's the end of the parade. Mother, I've been thinking. It's Thanksgiving, and there are only two of us. Couldn't we invite Mr. Gailey? Well, I... Oh, uh, <laughs> please don't bother. I'll, I'll just have a sandwich or something. But we have such a big turkey. Please, Mother, please. Well, well, I... Did I ask her all right, Mr. Gailey? Susie, shh. <laughs> you asked fine, Susan. Dinner's at three, Mr. Gailey. Hello, Mrs. Walker. Yes, Mr. Shellhammer. Your maid said you were at Thanksgiving dinner, but I, I just had to tell you. Your Santa Claus was stupendous. Well, thank you. Mr. Macy himself wants him to be our toy department Santa Claus. Oh, fine. Can you hire him? Oh, I already have. Oh, he's a born salesman. I just feel it. Good. We'll talk about it in the morning. Thanks for calling, Mr. Shellhammer. Here he is, Mr. Shellhammer. Here's Santa Claus. Oh, thank you, Alfred. Thank you, Good morning, Santa Claus. Good morning. Now, before you go to the toy department, here's a list of toys that we have to push. Huh? You know, things we're overstocked on. Now, you'll find that a great many children will be undecided as to what they want for Christmas. And when that happens, you immediately suggest one of these items. Do you understand? I certainly do. Fine, that's fine. Now, take the list and Alfred here will show you to your throne in the toy department. And don't you forget, you're working for Macy. Santa Claus? 
Why, of course I am. What do you want for Christmas, little boy? I want a fire engine with a real hose that squirts real wet water. And I won't do it in the house. I'll only do it in the backyard. I promise. And I promise you'll get your fire engine. You see, Mama, I told you you'd get me one. <laughs> That's fine. That's just dandy. You'll wait here, Mortimer. Mama wants to thank Santa Claus, too. Yes, madam? So what's the matter with you? No, no, no. What's the trouble? I told you before, didn't I? The kid wants a fire engine, but there isn't one to be had anywhere in town. Macy's ain't got any. Gimbal's ain't got any. Nobody's got any. My feet are killing me, and you say, okay, he gets the fire engine. But you can get those fire engines at Schoenfeld's, Lexington Avenue. Only four fifty. a wonderful bargain. Schoenfeld? Yes. Hey, I, I don't get it. Oh, I follow the toy market very closely. Macy's sending people to other stores? Yes. Are you kidding? <laughs> the one important thing is to make the children happy. Whether Macy's or somebody else sells the toy doesn't matter. Oh, don't you feel that way? Who, me? Yes. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. Only I didn't know Macy's did. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Uh, who's next, please? Right this way to see Santa Claus. <laughs> All right, little girl. You're next. Of course, little girl. You want some roller skates? Well, you shall have them, too. Mama, Mama, he's going to bring me some roller skates. And he has some fine skates here at Macy's, haven't you, Santa Claus? Oh, they're good skates, all right, but, but not quite good enough. Now, I left some really wonderful roller skates at Gimbal's. I'm sure Gimbal's have just what this good little girl wants. Very good. Mr. Shellhammer, are you Mr. Shellhammer? Uh, Gimbal's? Gimbal's? That's just what he did say, Gimbal's. Uh, the sales lady said I should speak to you. Gimbal's? I just wanted to congratulate you and Macy's on this wonderful new stunt you're pulling. Gimbal's? Imagine a big outfit like Macy's putting the spirit of Christmas ahead of the commercial. Gimbal's. From now on, I'm going to be a regular Macy customer. All right, Mortimer, we're going. <laughs> Gimbal's! And there's the toy department over there, Mr. Gailey. You certainly know all about Macy's store, don't you, Susan? Well, that's because my mother works here. But I still think it's silly. Bringing me here to see Santa Claus. Well, I just feel that when you've talked to okay, him, you might... Okay, Mr. Gailey. I'm certainly willing to try. Well, well, what a fine young lady, eh? What's your name, little girl? Susan Walker. What's yours? Mine? Chris Kringle. I'm Santa Claus. Mm. Oh, you don't believe that, eh? Uh-uh. You see, my mother's Mrs. Walker. Oh, 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 oh. But I must say you're the best-looking Santa Claus I've ever seen. Really? Your beard, for instance. It doesn't have one of those things that goes over your ears. <laughs> That's because it's real. Just oh. like I'm really Santa Claus. Now, go ahead. Pull it. Oh, my. My goodness, it is real. Yes, yeah. And now what would you like me to bring you for Christmas? Nothing, thank you. Whatever I want, my mother will get if it's sensible and doesn't cost too much. Oh. That's quite right, Susan. Oh, hello, Mother. Hello, Walker. Mr. Gailey. Hello. Um, the explanation for all this is very simple. Your maid's mother sprained her ankle. She had to go home, so she asked me to bring Susie down to you. And as long as we were here, I, I figured we might as well say hello to Santa Claus. He has real whiskers, Mother. Susan, would you mind standing over there a minute? If you want me to. I, um... I shouldn't have brought Susie to see Santa, is that it? Now you're making me feel completely heartless. I'm sorry. Don't you see? I tell Susan that Santa Claus is a myth. And you sure are a very convincing old man with real whiskers. 
Well, whom is she to believe? Yeah, that's right, isn't it? When Susan was a baby, her father and I were divorced. And ever since then, I've protected my child by teaching her realities. If you don't believe in fairy tales and fantasy, you can never be hurt or disillusioned. We were talking about Susie, Mrs. Walker. And I must ask you to let me raise her as I see fit. All right, dear. The store's going to close soon. We'll run along to my office. Alfred said you wanted to see me, Mrs. Walker. Oh, um... Oh, yes. Come in. I, um... Uh, I'd be grateful if you will please tell Susan that you're not really Santa Claus. That there actually is no such person. Oh, but Mrs. Walker, not only is there such a person, but here I am to prove it. No, 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 no. You misunderstand. I, I want you to tell her the truth. Now, um, what's your real name? Chris Kringle. And I always tell the truth. Susan, I'll bet you're in the first grade. Second grade. I mean your real name. Well, that is my real name. My goodness, the second grade? Very well. I have your employment card right here. I'd look it up on that. Mm, that's a very cute dress you have on, Susan. It's for Macy's. We get 10% off. Oh. So, <clears throat> you always tell the truth, do you? Mm -hmm. Look at your employment card. Name, Chris Kringle. Address, Brooks Memorial Home, Great Neck, Long Island. You may call the home if you'd care to confirm that, Mrs. Walker. It's a home for elderly gentlemen. Would you also like me to confirm this? What's that? Date of birth. As old as my tongue and a little bit older than my teeth. <laughs> Place of birth. North Pole. Now, really. Why, I believe you doubt me, Mrs. Walker. And this tops everything. Next of kin. Oh, that. Dasher, dancer, prancer, and vixen. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to do this, Mr. Um, uh, Kringle. But the, uh, the Santa Claus that we had two years ago is back in town, and I feel that we owe it to him to... Uh... What, have I done something wrong? Uh, no, 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 it's, it's just that we feel... Oh, oh excuse me. Hello? Uh, this is Mr. Shellhammer, Mrs. Walker. Drop whatever you're doing. Mr. Macy wants to see us immediately. Oh, I'll be right up. Um, I'm afraid I'll have to be very abrupt with you. I have to see Mr. Macy. You'll be paid for the full week, Mr. Kringle, and uh, I'll send your check to that address. Oh, uh, come right in, Mrs. Walker, Mr. Shellhammer. Thank you, Mr. Macy. Now, about this new policy you two initiated. Uh, oh. Macy's Santa Claus sending customers to Gimble. Well, I, I, I can explain everything, Mr. Macy. You don't have to explain a thing. Just look at my desk. Forty-two telegrams and over 500 phone calls. Grateful parents expressing undying gratitude to Macy's department store. Why, you, you don't say. From now on, not only will our Santa Claus continue in this manner, but every salesperson in the entire store. You mean that if we haven't got what the customer asks for, we're to... We're to send him where he can get it. No high-pressuring and forcing a customer to take something he doesn't really want. I think that's wonderful, Mr. Macy. Why, we'll be known as... Uh, yeah, it's the helpful store, the, the friendly store. The store that places public service ahead of profits. And consequently, we will make more profits than ever. <laughs> As for you, Mrs. Walker and Mr. Shellhammer, you'll find a more practical expression of my gratitude in your Christmas envelope. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yes. And tell that wonderful Santa Claus I won't forget him either. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'll tell him myself in the morning. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Macy. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Good, good night, Mr. Macy. And thank you again, sir. Oh, imagine a bonus. Yes. Well, what's the matter with you? 
Mr. Shellhammer, I just fired him. Who? Santa Claus. Oh, no, 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 you couldn't have. But I did. He, he's crazy, Mr. Shellhammer. He really thinks he is Santa Claus. I don't care if he thinks he, he's the Easter Bunny. Find him. Act two of Miracle on 34th Street will continue in a moment. Well, Libby, have you given Santa your Christmas list? Yes, indeed, John. And number one on my list is a pair of Chinese pajamas with a three-quarter coat and little upstanding collar. Just like the ones Mata Torin wears in Rogue's Regiment. Perhaps you'd better have the wardrobe mistress of Universal International show Santa what you mean. Well, I'm sure Dick Powell or Stephen McNally could give him a good description. They found Mata very glamorous in this modern story of the French Foreign Legion. And what a villain Vincent Price is in Rogue's Regiment. Mm -hmm. I was on the edge of my seat through the whole picture. And you talk about a pair of pajamas. <laughs> well, they were very special. Marta liked them so well, she had four pairs made for her personal wardrobe. Reasoned bleedings from everyone here at Dime Store Radio Theater and Sheena's Jungle Room. Here's our producer, Mr. William Keeley. Act two of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Marina O'Hara as Doris, John Payne as Fred, and Edmund Gwen as Chris Kringle. It was a frantic few hours that Doris spent last night, rushing out to the Brooks Memorial Home in Long Island and assuring Chris Kringle that Macy's wanted him back as Santa Claus. Now Chris is again presiding over the crowded toy department, while in her office, Doris and Mr. Shellhammer... Don't you understand, Mr. Shellhammer? That old man with the nice white whiskers insists that he is Santa Claus. Why, he's out of his mind. What if he should have a... A fit or something. Oh, no, I've got to tell Mr. Macy. Yes, but maybe he's only a little crazy. Anyway, you can't be sure until he's examined. We'll send him to Mr. Sawyer. Sawyer? In personnel. He's paid to examine employees, isn't he? And now, by the way, <laughs> what do you think of this? What is it? A full-page ad Macy's is running in tomorrow's newspapers. Macy's is running it? But it's all about the other stores, Gimbel's and Snacks I know, and... I know. Mr. Macy's idea to help our customers find what they want. It's revolting, isn't it? That Santa Claus certainly has started something. Oh, well. I'll get a hold of him in his lunch hour and send him up to Mr. Sawyer. So I changed my clothes, Mr. Sawyer, and came right up. Oh, well, then that's your own beard, huh? Oh, yes, yes. Mm. Interesting complex in back of that. Why do you carry a cane? Always carry a cane, Mr. Sawyer. Well, that is when I wear street clothes. Mm. I carved this cane out of a runner from one of my old sleighs. What's that? What's that? With a fine, solid silver top. <clears throat> who was the first president of the United States? Oh, oh give me a difficult one. <laughs> like, who was... Who was vice president under James Monroe? I'm conducting this examination. The answer is Daniel D. Tompkins. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh. You're a... You're a rather nervous man, aren't you, Mr. Sawyer? Hmm? <laughs> Tell me, do you, um... Do you get enough sleep? My personal habits are no concern of yours. Now, what hand am I holding up? Right hand. How many fingers do you see? Three. Oh, dear, oh, dear. You bite your nails, too. Oh, <laughs> Stand up now. 
Feet together, arms extended, muscular coordination tests. I've taken dozens of these tests. Mr. Sawyer, are you happy at home? What? <laughs> that will be all, Mr. Kringle. The examination is over. Thank you. Yeah, and it may interest you to know I've been happily married for 22 years. Very happily married. Delighted to hear it. Goodbye, uh, Mr. Sawyer. Miss Porn. Yes, sir. Get Mrs. Walker on the phone. Yes, sir. But your wife, Mr. Sawyer, she's called four times already. Well, you tell my big fat wife to shut up and mind her own business. Here's Mrs. Walker, sir. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Hello. Oh, I, w I was just going to call you, Mr. Sawyer. Oh? There's a Dr. Pierce stopping by this afternoon at three. Who's Dr. Pierce? He's the physician at the Brooks home. I thought we might discuss Mr. Kringle's case with him. Well, oh, there's hardly any point in discussing it, Mrs. Walker. Obviously, the old man should be discharged. So, Dr. Pierce, Kringle should be dismissed immediately and sent to a mental institution. Oh, now, just a minute, Mr. Sawyer. Ah, he's deluded saying that he's Santa Claus. It's a delusion for good. I found he only wants to be friendly and helpful. Uh, his whole manner suggests aggressiveness. Look at the way he carries that cane. Mrs. Walker, naturally, I can't discharge that loony, so when he exhibits his maniacal tendencies, please realize the responsibility is completely yours. Well, I'm right back where I started. Mrs. Walker, I assure you, Chris Kringle has no maniacal tendency. But if there's the slightest possibility of us causing any trouble... What trouble? All that needs happen is a policeman ask his name. Chris Kringle, clang, clang, and Macy's Santa Claus lands up in the psychopathic ward. Well, you can prevent that very simply. Now, there must be someone here at the store who could rent him a room. Then they could both come to work together. I just as soon he avoided that long train ride to Long Island, anyway. You mean, sort of take custody of him? Mm-hmm. Do you think that Mr. Kringle would agree to that? Oh, I'm sure he'll agree. Well, in, in that case... Uh... Now, let me see. Who do I know who could rent him a room? going to have dinner with us, Mr. Kringle. Oh, thank you, Susan. I'm also very glad you're going to live next door with Mr. Gailey. Oh, why? Because you're nice to talk to. Oh, <laughs> I say, what a fine young man that Mr. Gailey is, eh? Just think, allowing me to share his apartment, a mere stranger. He did it because Mother hinted to him. Oh, well, anyway, I'm very grateful. Shall I tell you what I did in school today? Oh, by all means. Any games? Yes. And a very silly game, too. Oh? They played zoo, and each child was supposed to be an animal. Oh, but Susan, they were just pretending. But that's what makes the game so silly. Oh. Well, of course, in order to play games, you need imagination. Oh, uh, that's when you see things, but they're not really there, huh? Oh, yes. Yes, but, you know, to me, imagination is a place all by itself. Now, you've heard of the French nation. Mm -hmm. hmm? And the British nation. Yes. Well, this is the imagination. <laughs> A very interesting place, too. Now, how would you like to be able to make snowballs in summertime, eh? What? Or be the Statue of Liberty in the morning, and in the afternoon, fly south with a flock of geese? Well, I'm quite sure I'd like it, but... Oh, it's very simple. Very. Well, anyway, look here. The next time they play zoo, you can be a monkey. But I don't know how to be a monkey. Don't you? Oh, I'll show you. Now, first, you bend over a little, like uh, like this, see? Now, let your arms hang loose, see? Like this? Yeah, that's fine, fine. 
Now put your hand over here and start scratching, see? That's it. That's it. That's excellent, Susan. That's as fine a bit of scratching as I've ever seen. Yeah. Now, now you start chattering. Chattering? Yes, now listen. See? And keep scratching. Now then, look here. We'll do it together, see? Chatter and scratch and scratch and chatter, see? That's fine, Susan. Fine. You're doing beautifully. Beautifully. Yes. <laughs> Susan. Susan. Are you still awake? Uh-huh. I've, uh, just come in to say goodnight, Susan, that's all. Now, look here. About Christmas. There must be something you'd like for Christmas. Well... I've certainly thought about something, Mr. Kringle. You have? Well, what is it, eh? Tell me. It's right here on the night table, see? Oh. I tore this page out of a magazine. It's a picture of a house. Oh, that's what you want, is it? A doll's house. Colonial architecture. Oh, not a doll's house, a real house. A real house? Yes. And if you're really Santa Claus, you can get it for me. Now, 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 wait a minute, Susie. <laughs> What could you possibly do with a big house? Live in it with my mother. And a backyard with a big tree to put a swing on. And a garden. And a... Oh, well. Why even discuss it? Susie. Susie, could I, uh... Could I keep this picture? Just, uh... Just in case? I guess so. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Well, Mr. Gale is waiting for me. Good night, monkey. Good night, Mr. Kringle. Take whichever bed you want, Mr. Kringle. You're very kind, really. Uh, tell me, Mr. Gailey, what is it you just do for a living, huh? Oh, I'm a lawyer. Haslip, Haslip, Sherman, and Mackenzie. Oh. Hmm. And you, uh, you like living here in the city? Well, it's convenient. But someday I'd like to get a place on Long Island. Huh. Not a big house, just one of those junior partner deals around Manhasset. Oh, one of those little colonial houses, eh? Yeah. 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 A little colonial house would be swell. Good. Good, yes. Yeah. You're, um... <clears throat> you're quite fond of Mrs. Walker, aren't you? <laughs> a lot of good it does me. She lives in a cast iron shell that's just a little difficult to penetrate. Oh. Well, you must try a little harder, Mr. Gailey. You know, Mrs. Walker and that child are a couple of lost souls. And it's up to us to help them, see? No. Yeah, she... Oh, well, shall I turn out the light? No, no, no. no? I'm not going to be cheated out of this. You know, all my life I've wondered about it, and now I'm going to find out. Tell me, does Santa Claus sleep with his whiskers outside or inside the cupboard? <laughs> oh, outside, of course. Outside, by all means. The cold air makes them grow. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, come in, Mrs. Walker. Come in. Thank you, Mr. Macy. I've just heard something very exciting. You have? Well, let me tell you something very exciting. Our policy of being kind to customers has tripled our sales. Now, what do you think of that? That's wonderful, Mr. Macy. And Gimbel's thinks it's wonderful, too. Gimbals? Gimbals are adopting the same policy. Well, is that so? And it gives me an idea. As long as Gimbals are doing the same thing, 
Why not some pictures for the newspapers? Uh, pictures? Yes. You and Mr. Gimble shaking hands. Shaking hands? R.H. Macy and... and Gimble? Well... well, yes. Yes, yes, why not? With Santa Claus. <laughs> it's a great idea, Mrs. Walker. <laughs> Macy and Gimble shaking hands. <laughs> That's enough pictures, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Mr. Gimble? Come on, R.H. Now we'll go over to my store and get some really good pictures. Oh, just a minute. I have something here for Santa Claus. Here you are, Mr. Kringle. A check in appreciation of all you've done. Mr. Macy, why, that's most kind of you. I didn't think you were that generous, R.H. That's quite a check. What are you going to do with it, Mr. Kringle? Well, I have a friend. Uh, Dr. Pierce. He needs a new x-ray machine. You buy the machine through the store. Ten percent discount. Nonsense. Come over to Gimbel's. We'll furnish it at cost. Oh, keep it up, gentlemen. Keep it up. <laughs> at this rate, my friend will have a whole new hospital. <laughs> How did the pictures turn out, Mr. Kringle? Oh, fine, Alfred. Fine. How about a game of checkers during lunch, eh? Oh, not today, Chris. I... I don't feel so good. Oh, What's the matter, Alfred? Oh, nothing much. You remember I was telling you how I like to play Santa Claus over at the Y and give out packages to the kids? Yeah. Well, I was telling Mr. Sawyer about it, and he says that's very bad. That psychologically it's all wrong. Wrong? To be nice to children? Well, he says guys who play Santa Claus do it because when they was young they must have done something bad. Now they do something they think is good to make up for it, see? <laughs> it's what he calls a guilt complex. Alfred... What else has he found wrong with you? Oh, nothing much. Just that I hate my father. <laughs> I didn't know it, but he says I do. Excuse me. Hey, ain't you going to have lunch? Later. Right now, I have an appointment with Mr. Sawyer. What do you mean, breaking into my office like this? Are you a licensed psychiatrist? What business is it of yours? I have great respect for psychiatry and great contempt for meddling amateurs who go around practicing it. Oh, shut up. You ought to be horsewhipped. Taking a boy like Alfred and filling him up with complexes and phobias... I be... think I'm better equipped to judge that than you. Just because Alfred wants to be kind to children, you tell him he has a guilt complex. Yes. Having the same delusion, you couldn't possibly understand. Oh. And don't you wave that cane at me. Either you stop analyzing Alfred, or I'll go straight to Mr. Macy and tell him what a contemptible fraud oh, you are. Get out of here. Get out of here before I have you thrown out. There's only one way to handle a man like you. Maybe this will knock some sense into you. Oh! Oh, help! Oh, my head! My head! Oh, oh, oh. Good day, Mr. Sawyer. Oh, Miss Prawn! Get me the police! Get, get me Mrs. Walker! Get me the psychopathic ward in Bellevue Hospital! You can see Mr. Kringle now, Mr. Gailey. Thank you, nurse. Hello, Chris. Hello, Fred. Chris, I've been speaking to the doctors. They said they've given you some tests. Oh, yes. Same old tests. Except this time you failed to pass them. Chris, you deliberately failed. Why? Why? Well, because I had great hopes, Fred. I had a feeling Mrs. Walker was beginning to believe in me. And now... Well, now I discover she was only humoring me all the time. But this wasn't Doris's idea at all. Mr. Sawyer had you sent up here before she even knew about it. But why... 
Why didn't she come to me and explain things? Because she didn't want to hurt you. Oh, well, it's not just Mrs. Walker. It's... Well, now, take Mr. Sawyer. He's contemptible, dishonest, deceitful. Yet he's out there and I'm in here. Well, if that's normal, I don't want it. But you can't just think of yourself, Chris. What happens to you matters to a lot of other people. People like me who believe in what you stand for and people like, well, like Susie, who are just beginning to. Chris, you're letting us down. I... Well, Fred, maybe you're right. I... Well, of course you're right. I ought to be ashamed of myself. Let's get out of here. Now, wait a minute. You flunked your mental examination, but good. Oh, yes. So I did. Oh. Well, well, anyway, you're a lawyer. You fix it. Hey, look, I can't just... Now, I won't let you down, and you won't let me down. Chris, now take it easy. Look, there'll have to be a hearing. If you're going to be committed, it has to be before a judge. Well? Well, if I can do anything at all, it'll have to be in courtroom. Now, sit tight, Chris. I'll get an idea. I have to get an idea. <laughs> You uh, sent for me, Mr. Mason? I certainly did, Mr. Sawyer. I brought my family to the toy department to see our Santa Claus, and our Santa Claus isn't there. He's in Bellevue. Yes, Mr. Mason. Because he's a lunatic. Yes, sir, a lunatic. Lunatic, my foot. Now, you listen to me, Sawyer. You get that case dropped right away, or you'll have another lump to match the one he gave you. But it's out of my hands. Mr. Kringle goes to court in the morning. Well, just see that he's back in the toy department by afternoon. Now, get out of here. Oh, Mr. Gailey. Uh, Mr. Gailey. Yes? I've been looking all over for you. I'm Mr. <clears throat> Sawyer. Oh, so you're Sawyer. Yes. I, uh, I was just speaking to the court clerk, and he said you represent Mr. Kringle. <clears throat> well, I represent Mr. Macy. Well, then I'll see you in court. Oh, no. uh, uh, that's what I wanted to speak to you about. Now, Mr. Macy would like to drop the whole case right now. You see, we're most anxious to avoid any publicity. No publicity, oh. huh? Well, that's very interesting. Oh, then you'll cooperate. You know something, Sawyer? You've just given me the idea I've been searching for. Oh, good, good. If I'm going to win this case, I'm going to have to have public opinion and plenty of it. And publicity's just the way to do it. Thanks, and uh, so long, Mr. Sawyer. Uh, Mr. Gailey? But Mr. Gailey! Look at these newspapers, Chris. Here. Uh -huh. Evening Dispatch. Doctors doubt sanity of Santa who launched goodwill campaign. Oh, my. Daily Bulletin. Macy's Santa Claus to have lunacy hearing. Mm. What's this one? The New York Express. Is Chris Kringle crazy? Court case coming, kiddies cry calamity. <laughs> You've driven the United Nations clear back to page five. Well, get a good night's sleep, Chris. We go before Judge Harper at ten tomorrow morning. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Our stars will return with Act Three of Miracle on 34th Street in a moment. When a new player signs a contract with 20th Century Fox, 
She soon gets well acquainted with Miss Helena Sorrell, head dramatic coach. Helena, do you like to watch your pupils perform in the picture? Oh, of course, John, because I take a personal interest in them. I'm especially proud of Betty Grable and her new picture, When My Baby Smiles at Me. Betty's become a really fine dramatic actress. She certainly has. She and Dan Daly are magnificent as a couple of vaudeville hoofers. And Betty's costumes in When My Baby Smiles at Me gave me a thrill. Twas the night before Sheena's, and all through the jungle room. All the DJs were stirring, making their cocktails go kaboom. The LP bags were hung by the chimney with care, in the hopes that Mr. Fab soon would be there. The crew were all lit, decked out in their best threads, with a band keeping beat on those boss new drumheads. Shangri-La's got a kooky sweater and Barno's sporting a hat, while Jan Turkenberg has the dance moves down pat. When out on the turntables, Chris O. spun a platter. We all sprung to our feet and danced like mad hatters. Then in through the door with a significant flash, flew in Don Bowles with a huge LP stash. Rich in Washington added another hour to his show with a holiday double feature programmed by Don O. When, what to our Hepcat eyeballs should appear? But an overdressed Mr. Fab, with all the other DJs, never fear. On the dance floor he was so lively and quick, as we all grooved and frugged to surf songs so slick. It seemed like the tunes all had obscure fame, yet every single one of us knew them all by name. Everybody brought food, there were plenty of fixins, and when it came to drinks we were all nearly six in, to the top of the porch, and all through the halls, our DJs were always heard by one and all. Alex Kish and Julie, with Mike Rogers himself. I see Space Brother flipping through records on that shelf. Jamie Jazz and Catherine Sage, both shaking their heads at the terrible pun that I, for some reason, just said. Hysterica just got here, but they seem to fit right in. And we're laughing at the choices by DJ Kratoven. Georgie Girl is the peak of fashion and style. And Derek showed up with another record pile. John Nelson and Mark Time are both learning to twerk, while Miss May and Flannery chat in the kitchen and lurk. Sarcophagi and Daryl both like to pose, while Speedo and John P. trade DJ tips like old pros. DJ Babs and M.H. Lee both began to whistle, and you know we all got the It's All Night epistle. We heard Mr. Fab exclaim, quite loud and quite bright, this year we dance to Sheena's all day and all night. everyone here in the Mid Valley, those stationed in the Lava Lamp Lounge itself, the production crew here at Dime Store Radio Theatre and Mid Valley Mutations, and all the volunteers at Sheena's Jungle Room, we wish you a sappy hollandaise, and plenty of new music throughout the coming year. Now, time to get my freak on. Latest skaters.
right you are. And thank you for coming tonight, Helena Sorrell. We return you now to William Keeley. And the curtain rises on the third act of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Maureen O'Hara as Doris, John Payne as Fred, and Edmund Gwen as Chris. For a few weeks, a jolly elderly gentleman named Chris Kringle has been working minor miracles as Macy's Santa Claus. But now his sanity has been seriously questioned. And in a crowded courtroom, Judge Harper listens patiently as the assistant district attorney summons Chris to the witness stand. Now, uh, this is not a trial, Mr. Kringle. It's just a hearing, so you don't have to answer any questions. <clears throat> now then, uh, where do you live, please? Well, it seems to me that's what this hearing will decide, won't it? <laughs> Mr. Kringle, do you believe that you are Santa Claus? Of course I do. That's all, Your Honor. The state rests its case. Well, Mr. Gailey, Your Honor, Mr. Mara contends my client is not sane because he believes he is Santa Claus. An entirely logical conclusion. Anyone who thinks he's Santa Claus is crazy. Your Honor, you believe yourself to be Judge Harper. Yet no one questions your sanity because you are Judge Harper, do they? Mr. Kringle is the subject of this sanity hearing, not I. Well, Your Honor, I intend to prove that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. Mr. Mara, I thought you said this was a cut-and-dried sanity hearing. Well, I thought it was, Your Honor. <clears throat> In view of Mr. Gailey's statement, I'll have to review the entire background of this case. Court's adjourned until tomorrow morning. <laughs> Hello, Doris. I'm sorry I'm late, but get ready. We're really going to celebrate tonight. What are we celebrating? Well, didn't you read the papers? Santa's mouthpiece throws bombshell on New York Supreme Court. Oh, Fred, you're not really serious about this. You can't possibly prove that Chris Kringle is Santa Claus. Well, you saw Mr. Macy and Mr. Gimble shake hands. That wasn't possible either. What does your firm have to say about it? Hayslip and Mackenzie and, and the rest of them? That I've... Uh jeopardize their prestige, and either I drop this impossible case or they'll drop me. You see? So I beat them to it. I quit. Fred, you threw away a career because of a sentimental whim? Well, I'll open my own office. And what kind of clients will you get? Oh, probably a lot of people like Chris who are being pushed around. That's the only fun in law anyway. Doris, look, don't you have any faith in me at all? No, it's not a question of faith. It's it's just common sense. But faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. It's not just Chris that's on trial. It's everything he stands for. Human kindness and love oh, and dignity. Oh, Fred, listen. We've seen a lot of each other the last couple of weeks. I, well, I've become fond of you. We've talked about some wonderful plans, haven't we? And then you do this. Go on an idealistic binge, throw away your security, and expect me to be happy about it. And I expect too much. Is that it? Well, that's that, I guess. Good night, Doris. Hello. Yes, this is Mr. Merrill. Well, can't it wait till tomorrow? I'm eating din... Who's been subpoenaed? Well, how do you think I feel about it? I'll see you tomorrow. That, dear? R.H. Macy's been subpoenaed. Oh, my. Those reporters. They make me look like a sadistic monster who likes nothing better than to drown pussycats and tear wings off butterflies. Quiet, dear. Tommy's still awake. Oh, oh, yeah. It'd, 
He'd just break his heart if he knew what his daddy is doing. I'm doing my job as assistant district attorney. Well, I'm not so sure, but, I, but that I agree with them. Mr. Kringle looks like a very nice old man, and I don't see why you have to keep persecuting him. I'm not persecuting him. I'm prosecuting him. <laughs> I like the old man, too, but, but there's nothing I can do about it. You know something, Thomas? Sometimes I wish I'd married a butcher or a plumber. Well, if I lose this case, it's very possible you'll get your wish. R.H. <laughs> Macy, I, I wonder what he's going to pull tomorrow. Proceed to the witness, Mr. Gailey. Now then, Mr. Macy, if you recognize the defendant, please tell us who he is. Why, Chris Kringle, of course. Do you believe him to be of sound mind? Sound mind? I wish I had a dozen like him. Mr. Macy, you are under oath. Do you believe that man is Santa Claus? Well, now, that's a rather delicate... Uh... Just think of those headlines tomorrow. Macy admits his Santa Claus is fraud. You keep out of this, Kimball. What did you say? Yo, <laughs> no, Nothing, Mr. Barber, nothing. <laughs> well, I wish you would. Is that man Santa Claus? Yes, in my opinion, he most certainly is. Your Honor, there is no such person as Santa Claus, and everybody knows it. Can you prove there isn't any? I won't even try. I'll not waste the court's time with such childish nonsense. Your Honor, the prosecution requests an immediate ruling from this court. Is there or is there not a Santa Claus? Well, now, uh, I, uh... The court will take a short recess to consider the question. <laughs> Hello, Henry. Why, Charlie, what are you doing here? Can't an old friend visit you in your chambers? And if you ask me, you never needed a friend like you do now. In this Kringle case? Well, I certainly don't see what they're making such a fuss about. Henry, that's Santa Claus you've got out there. On trial for lunacy. This case is dynamite. And you're coming up for re-election soon. Charlie, you know what happened last night? Martha brought the grandchildren over. They... They wouldn't kiss Grandpa. <laughs> they wouldn't even talk to me. Ah, you see what I mean? If you rule there is no Santa Claus, you better start looking for that chicken farm right now. I'm a responsible judge. How can I seriously rule that there is a Santa Claus? Because of what happens if you don't. The kids read about it and they don't hang up their stockings. Now what happens to all the toys that are supposed to be in those stockings? Nobody buys them. The toy manufacturers have to lay off employees. By now you've got the AFL and the CIO against you. <laughs> yes, and they're going to say it with votes, see? Oh, and the department stores are going to love you, too. <laughs> yes, sir, Henry. And what about the Salvation Army? They got a Santa Claus on every street corner. They've taken a lot of money to help the poor. But go ahead, Henry. You go in there and rule there isn't any Santa Claus. But if you do, you can count on getting just two votes, your own and that district attorney's out there. One vote, Charlie. He, he's a Republican. <laughs> oh, well, let's get this over with. The, uh, the question of Santa Claus seems to be, uh, Largely a matter of opinion. The uh, tradition of American justice demands a broad and unprejudiced view of such a controversial matter. But, Your Honor... This court, therefore, intends to keep its mind open. 
We shall ask for evidence on either side. But the burden of proof clearly rests with my opponent. Can he produce any evidence to support his views? If Your Honor, please, I can. Will Thomas Mara please take the stand? Who, me? No. Thomas Mara, Jr. I believe he and his mother are both in court today. Hi, Papa. Hi. <laughs> Tommy. Do you believe in Santa Claus? I sure do. Gosh, he gave me a brand new sled last year. Now, um, what does Santa Claus look like, Tommy? Well, there he is, sitting right over there. Your Honor, I protest. Overruled. Tell me, Tommy, uh, why are you so sure there's a Santa Claus? Because my papa told me so, didn't you? <laughs> Thank you, Tommy. You can go back to your mother now. See you later, Papa. You certainly will. Your Honor. Don't forget, Santa Claus, this year I want a football helmet. Don't worry, Tommy, you will get it. Mr. Kringle, if you don't mind. I'm sorry, sir. Your Honor, the state of New York concedes the existence of a Santa Claus. But in so conceding, we demand that Mr. Gailey stop representing and presenting personal opinion as evidence. I insist he submit authoritative proof that Mr. Kringle here is the one and only Santa Claus. Well, Mr. Gailey... Are you prepared to show that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus on the basis of unprejudiced authority? Well, sir, no, not now. I, I need a little time. Why not now? Tomorrow, Your Honor. Very well. Court's adjourned till tomorrow morning. Whew. Oh, brother. Now come, Susan, dear. Finish your supper. But I can't, Mother. All those things they're saying in the newspapers about Mr. Kringle and Mr. Gailey. They're having this trial because he says he's Santa Claus. He's so, he's so kind and, and nice and jolly. He's not like anyone else I know. He must be Santa. You know something? I think perhaps you're right. Is Mr. Kringle sad now, Mother? I'm afraid he must be. Then I'll write him a letter... Maybe that'll make him feel better. I'll cheer him up. Oh, Postman, Postman. Yeah, lady? Would you mind taking this letter? Oh, sure, lady. We're going straight down to the post office now. Okay, Louie, take it away. Well, what do you know, Louie? Another letter for Santa Claus. Hey, here's a new one. Instead of the North Pole, this kid's got it addressed to Chris Kringle, New York County Courthouse. Well, the kid's right. Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. They got him on trial down there. <laughs> he claims he's Santa Claus and the DA claims he's nuts. Hey, hmm? hey, I got an idea. Huh? How many Santa Claus letters we got down there in the dead letter office? Oh, who knows? Must be 50,000 bags and bags all over the joint. I... He... You mean? What, Flaky? Why not? Wouldn't it be nice to get rid of them all? Wouldn't it? <laughs> boy, oh boy. Look, Louie, as soon as we get to the post office, we go and see the supervisor. You know something? I bet we both get promoted. <laughs> <laughs> defense has been unable to submit one shred of proof that Kris Kringle is the one and only Santa Claus, and since tonight is Christmas Eve, 
I ask, Your Honor, that this hearing be terminated without further delay. I protest I do have evidence. Five minutes ago, you said you didn't. During Mr. Mara's oration, the bailiff handed my client the evidence I refer to. What evidence? This letter, Your Honor. Oh, yes, Mr. Kringle. It's from Susan Walker. She believes in me. Oh, this letter means more to me than anything in the world. That letter, Your Honor, was delivered by the United States Post Office, an official agency of the federal government. The post office department was one of the largest business concerns in the world. Last year did a gross volume of over $1 billion. And Your this year... Honor, I'm sure we're all gratified that the post office is getting along so well. <laughs> but what bearing has it on the sanity of that man? My point is that the post office department is a model of efficiency. Furthermore, the laws of this country make it a criminal offense to willfully misdirect mail or intentionally deliver it to the wrong party. The state of New York is second to none in his admiration of the post office department. We're very happy to concede, Mr. Galis. Uh, for the record, Mr. Mara. For the record. Anything to get on with this case. Thank you. Your Honor, that letter just received by Mr. Kringle is positive proof that a competent... One letter is hardly positive proof. I have further exhibits, Your Honor, but I, I hesitate to produce them. Come, come, Mr. Gailey. Put them here on my desk. But, Your Honor, I, I don't... I said put them on my desk. All right, boys, bring them in. Your, your Honor, what, what is this? Empty those mail sacks on Judge Harper's desk. Yeah, well, you... Well, but uh, bring them all in or be fined for contempt of court. Uh, no, no, just a second here. Uh, we'll do it, Your Honor, through rain, through sleet, through courtrooms, anything. We deliver. Uh, Mr. Cayley. Your Honor, every one of those letters and every one of those mail sacks is addressed to Santa Claus. The post office has delivered them. Therefore, the post office department recognizes Chris Kringle to be the one and only Santa Claus. Since the United States government declares this man to be Santa Claus, this court will not dispute it. Case dismissed. And for heaven's sake, get this mail out of my courtroom. So as soon as I got out of court, I came straight to Macy's to see you, Doris. Oh, Chris, I'm so glad you won. <sighs> well, we're having a big Christmas party at the Brooks' home tomorrow morning. I'd like so much to see you and Susan there. We'll be there, Chris. Oh, Chris, couldn't you... Couldn't you come home now and have dinner with us? Now? Tonight? Me? My goodness, Doris, it's... It's Christmas Eve. Alfred! Alfred, look! Look who came all the way out here to the home, just for our Christmas party. Chris, it's... It's Mr. Macy! Mr. Gimble, too! Oh, excuse me, Alfred. Mrs. Walker and Susan have to leave now, and I want to see them before they go. So forgive me, will you? But, Susie, darling, you've got so many presents. Not the one I wanted. Not the one Mr. Kringle was going to get for me. Well, what was it? It doesn't matter. I knew I wouldn't get it, but I thought he'd at least tell me why. Susie... I'm sorry, Susie. I tried my best, but... You couldn't get it because you're not Santa Claus. Susan. Just a nice old man like Mother said. But I was wrong when I told you that. You must believe in Mr. Kringle and keep right on doing it. You must have faith in him. But that doesn't make sense, Mother. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. What? I mean, just because things don't turn out the way you want them to the first time... You've still got to believe in people. I found that... Hello, Doris. Fred. Mr. Gailey, Mr. Gailey. Merry Christmas, Susie. Gosh, 
You'll just get here and we're ready to leave. Oh, I've been here. Oh. And if you're ready to leave, I'll drive you home. Before you go, here. Here's a map I've made for you. You'll miss a lot of traffic. About four miles south, you will see Ashley Avenue. Now, that's the street you want. Ashley Avenue. Thanks, Chris. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Fred. And to you, my dear. And to you, Susie. I believe, Mr. Kringle. I do. Silly, I suppose. But I do. I don't understand it, Fred. The map Chris gave definitely says Ashley Avenue. We've been on Ashley Avenue now for... Susie, what is it, darling? What's the matter? There it is! The house! The house! Susie! What in the world? She's running into that house. Well, at least there's no one home. It's, it's brand new. It's, it's just been built. Yeah, for sale, it says. For sale. What on earth is that child up to? Susie! Hey, Susie! Here I am! Upstairs! Now, come right down. You know you shouldn't run around in other people's houses. That's strange. I'll say. No, no... I mean this house. I've seen this house somewhere. I know I have. Maybe in a magazine or... Mother, it's our house. It's the one I asked him for, Mr. Kringle. Mr. Kringle? I know it is. Oh, you were right, Mommy. You were right. Susie. Mommy told me that if things didn't turn out just the way you wanted them at first, you've still got to believe, and I kept believing. And you were right, Mommy. Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. Now where are you going? In back to Santa's swing. You told her that? About believing? Well, you told me, Fred. <laughs> A sign outside. For sale, huh? Well, we can't let her down, can we? I never really doubted you. It was just my silly common sense. <laughs> it even makes sense to believe in me now. I must be a pretty good lawyer. I take a little old man and legally prove to the world that he's Santa Claus. Now, you know that couldn't be... Fred! What's the matter? There... In the corner, by the fireplace. Oh, no. No. It, it can't be. It, it couldn't. A cane. Chris's cane. Well, there couldn't be two canes like this anywhere in the world. Silver handle and all. Hey, you know something? Maybe I didn't do such a wonderful thing after all. Radio Theater is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. And with only five shopping days left until the big day later this week, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides pies, or extra LPs, and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. And now, we return you to Lux Radio Theater, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. Back now to our producer, William Keeley. Mr. Kringle's reindeer are waiting on the roof. 
But we've asked him to pause a moment before he leaves and come back to the footlights with Maureen O'Hara and John Payne. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it was a real thrill to everyone in Hollywood when Edmund Gwen topped his entire 53 years as an actor with his great performance as Chris Kringle. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. Everyone connected with Miracle on 34th Street, from George Seaton, the author-director, to the prop man, helped me. They all believed in Santa Claus. How could we help it? I suppose you've got a strenuous time ahead, Chris, yeah. covering the entire world in one night. John, if everyone believed in Santa Claus, peace would break out all over the world in 30 seconds. I hope you won't be too busy to stop at my house. I'll have my stockings hung up. Oh, well, I'll stop in, Marine, but seems rather futile. Why, Chris? Well, I couldn't possibly fill her stocking as well as she does. I see what you mean. <laughs> and good night. Good night. Good night. Can I give anybody a lift in my sleigh? <laughs> good night and a merry, merry Christmas. Before we meet again in this theater, the most joyful day in the year will have come and gone. And there are, in our time, as in every time, a few foolish men who deride the spirit of Christmas. But in every country and in every time, they are overwhelmed by those who find in it the hope and happiness of the future. By those of us who believe in our hearts that there can be peace on this earth and goodwill among all men. On behalf of Lever Brothers Company and of us in the Lux Radio Theater, may I wish all of you the happiest of holidays. This is William Keeley saying good night and Merry Christmas. Maureen O'Hara appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox, producers of The Snake Pit, starring Olivia de Havilland and Mark Stevens. Edmund Gwen appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the all-star Technicolor musical Words and Music, based on the lives and music of Rogers and Hart. John Payne will soon be seen in the Paramount picture El Paso. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs> Exciting edition of Dime Store Revelations. The show within a show. Where we talk a little bit about what we've been playing. And what we will be playing. But since we are live, let's uh let's say a little hello to everyone out there in Radio Land. Uh tonight we have Charles, Imaginos, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, uh, 
Maginos and I uh, share a, a, a deep connection with a, a, a fondness for Max Headroom. And then we have, uh, oh, let's see, who else? I, I think Heather is lurking, if I'm not mistaken. She usually is. Uh, um, uh, Mr. Fab, of course, and WR. Yes, hello. Nice to, nice to see you all. Um, yeah, yeah, we were talking, you know, Macy's has kind of uh, got such a, a deep uh, holiday tr- uh, tradition and whatnot that it's a... Uh, it's astonishing uh, that uh, it's still around. Uh, WR kind of points out it survived the overturning of most of the big box stores, which uh, at this point is pretty much all of them but Macy's. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure uh, they're hanging on uh, 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 by a thread, but uh, uh, it, it just it kind of interesting to see... Um, uh, their their name um, uh, be a part of culture for for decades and decades and decades. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we're uh, uh, moving right along through our uh, holiday movie marathon. Uh, we got two more movies uh, that we're gonna go through after this because uh, we need something to kind of like ease us through that week between. Um, uh, we actually are broadcasting the day after Christmas, so uh, there'll be a lot of people who are just, you know, like exhausted. They've uh, eaten too much candy and 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 and, and a huge meal the, yesterday, and and they're and they're kind of just kind of lightly snacking on whatever's left over in the refrigerator. So so we got a movie uh, slotted in uh, perfect for that next week. Uh, and then we got a New Year's film as well uh, because uh, we're kind of on the day after New Year's Day, um, and so uh, makes sense that we'll uh, we'll uh, need a little little something to kind of help us uh, ease back into our regularly scheduled lifestyles. So that's kind of where we will be, uh, and, and then today, of course, uh, we have uh, part four of our uh, Bogart and Bacall. Uh, uh, Hollywood's Golden Age uh, documentary that I've pieced together from three different uh, uh, documentaries. Uh, one of them being a Biography Channel uh, doc. I'm quite fond of those. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I think uh, the, the timing of the Biography Channel being a channel was right after I kind of went out on my own and was living on my own. And uh, in some of those early homes, I insisted on having cable since it was not always a guarantee when I lived with my family. And uh, I would just sit there and watch those weird biography channel documentaries and and I, I would say I'm learning about these people. I was just watching TV, really. But yeah, we're going to... Uh, another installment of that. We also have another clip from uh, Command Performance. I know I've talked a lot about Command Performance uh, they did a lot of holiday episodes, so that's uh, uh, one that uh, uh, we'll be able to uh, enjoy there. And, and then we're going to close the evening, actually, with uh, the new adventures of Nero Wolf, uh, the Slaughtered Santas. Uh, and and th- this is a show that we haven't uh, heard anything of uh, on uh, Dime Store Radio Theater yet, um, but it is one I quite enjoy. Uh, and uh, Nero Wolf is a character that's been reinvented a few times on radio. Um, and, and this is uh, the uh, most uh, famous version because uh, Sidney Greenstreet plays the lead. 
Uh, now, uh, of course, he was uh, uh, well known uh, in uh, The Big Sleep and a few other uh, well-known uh, 40s uh, movies. What I love about Sidney Greenstreet is that he was a star in his time, and he was a very overweight gentleman who was not healthy and uh, uh, not particularly attractive, but he, he, he did okay for a, a, an unhealthy, overweight gentleman. And he was a star in Hollywood in the 40s <laughs> because that's how the world used to work uh and so uh he got his own radio shows uh just a magnificent uh performer um and and of course the, the character of nero wolf is supposed to be a rather overweight detective who never leaves his house and just solves crimes from uh his uh orchid uh, uh greenhouse so <laughs> um I have a particular fondness for Nero Wolf, and it is—it's actually one of my father's favorite uh, um, uh, detective uh, uh, characters uh, in, in, in pulp version. So, uh, uh, something that my dad and I have in common: Nero Wolf. I may run Nero Wolf on our show uh, at some point. The, the stories are delightful. Uh, you get Archie Goodwin, who is kind of like the uh, uh, guy who actually does all of the work, uh, and then you have uh, Nero Wolf, who is like the brains of the pair um and 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 they're almost always delightful just the uh, the way they, they they turn out there's a there's one particular locked room mystery that i quite enjoy and i think it's the only episode where nero wolf actually gets up and leaves and goes to the place to solve uh the crime so uh, uh yeah uh, certainly an uh a, 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 a worthwhile uh addition to our um our our uh, our shows so th that's how we're going to close up the night today uh and uh, yeah you know uh, this is our last show uh before christmas so uh yeah i just want to say thank you so much i always enjoy uh doing holiday radio uh as a youth there's something about uh you, you know like sometimes uh you wouldn't weren't always able to get the lights up and whatnot for different reasons and here and there but like the radio is often very willing to kind of take you on a seasonal journey whenever uh, you turned it on. Uh, and so, like, you could always tell that it was uh, Christmas time by listening to the radio. And, and I, I, I appreciate that, uh, uh, and I appreciate being able to deliver that to uh, folks as well. Yeah, Mr. Fab has found some great uh, details uh, about uh, Macy's 1858 uh, they were practically 90 years old when Miracle on 34th Street was made, according to Mr. Fab's research. I love that, that they were already an institution then. And of course, uh, uh, they've only become more so since. Enough of my yap. And I love doing radio. Uh, tune in tomorrow, actually. I've got some scary stories. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, Algernon Blackwood and, uh, uh, and actually a ghost story by Mark Twain uh, and a few other uh, 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 holiday uh, Christmas shenanigans for, for Mid-Valley Mutations. Uh, it's going to be fun. Um, I, think, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. But uh, certainly uh, um, we have more fun to get to tonight. Um, yes, uh, I look forward to this every week. I hope you do too. It's Dime Store Radio Theater. Uh, Times to Revelations. And uh, let's get to that Bogart documentary. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll talk again soon.
be seeing you. Bacall, pregnant with their second child, a daughter they would name Leslie, convinced Bogart to move from Benedict Canyon to Holmby Hills. It was a neighborhood full of stars, and across the street was radio and television personality Art Linkletter. He was a kind of a remote guy. He was living in his big house, and we didn't see much of him. But we had an argument, a serious argument, about a dog. Bogart and Bacall, Hollywood's Golden Age, Part 4. The dogs would bark. We had three boxers, and boxers are barkers. And they would keep the neighborhood up. So I would call up Mr. Bogart and suggest that he put his dog in the basement. And he suggested that I mind my own business. I threatened to call the downtown police. He says, go ahead and call him. And they sent out a detective. And when he found out it was Bogart, he said, Mr. Linkletter, he said, you don't really want to have Mr. Bogart arrested or have charges placed against him. And I said, well, what am I going to do? I can't sleep. He says, I would advise you that you probably should not hire somebody to drive by late at night and throw a stake over into the Bogart home with some poison in it. <laughs> I said, no, I won't do that. I said, but thanks for warning me. What's happened, Bogart indulged his eccentric side and made Beat the Devil with John Huston. The public didn't embrace the confusing and quirky film. <laughs> At this stage of his career, Bogart was interested in taking roles other than the tough guy characters he had become famous for. He caught his fans off guard again when he played Captain Queeg in the 1953 screen version of The Cane Mutiny. Here was an actor who, no matter what, managed to keep his cool, managed to keep himself under control. That was part of the appeal of his persona. And here he's, he's shredding it. He's, he's unraveling it for us. Mr. Merrick, you're under arrest. Go below to your cabin. Call your release, Mr. Keith. You're under arrest, too. You'll all hang for conspiracy to mutiny. You expect him to pull through and he can't. He doesn't, given that character. And it makes it much more unnerving for the audience. For his next film, he went to the other extreme and played a button-down businessman in Sabrina, even if his cynical side didn't quite let him buy into the story. I saw Bogey walking down the street here at Paramount and I stopped him and we talked. And he said, I just saw in the projection room Sabrina. He said, wonderful picture and I said you were great in it he said there's only one question I have about the picture I said what he said no in the picture I get Audrey Hepburn I said yeah he said had I been Audrey Hepburn I would I would have taken Bill Holden I wouldn't have taken me he got another Academy Award nomination for his portrayal of Captain Quee and the public loved Sabrina Bogart was as hot as ever he decided to end his contract with Warner Brothers early the next month, he appeared on The Jack Benny Show and enjoyed parodying his screen image. Now, what did you do with that gun? Now, wait a minute before you start any rough stuff. I'm entitled to one phone call, ain't I? Well, yes. Okay, give me a dime and I'll run down to the drugstore. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. 
Finally, Bogart seemed relaxed and happy. He was free to do whatever he wanted, but as it would turn out, he had little time left to enjoy his career or his family. After successfully gaining respect as a skilled actor willing to take risks in roles like the Kane Mutiny and the African Queen, Bogart decided to return to the kind of part that first made him popular. It was interesting about Humphrey Bogart coming to Desperate Hours. It had been done on the stage and beautifully done by Paul Newman, who was younger than Bogie. And some people had the imagination of a younger person in that part. And Bogie came in. His performance in The Desperate Hours proved that at age 54, Bogart could still take command of the screen as the head of a gang. During his off hours, he was the ringleader of a group of party animals that would become known as the Rat Pack. How did the Rat Pack originate? Well, the story is that Bogart was in Vegas with Judy Garland and David Niven and Frank Sinatra and Lauren Bacall, and they were on a roll. They were on a tear. They were tearing up the town. They were painting the town red. It lasted for five days, and at the end of five days, they came straggling back to the hotel suite where Lauren Bacall, who was a lot younger than the others, looked at them and said, geez, you look like a Rat Pack, and that's how it was named. And Bogart, of course, was the leader of the Rat Pack until his death, and then Frank Sinatra took over, and he sort of initiated the next Rat Pack. On Memorial Day in 1955, Bogart played Duke Mantee for the third time in a live television version of The Petrified Forest. Lauren Bacall took over the Betty Davis role. After he made the film The Harder They Fall, Bogart and Bacall planned their first big screen reunion in eight years. My mother kind of let her career go on hold to raise the kids. She decided that she wasn't going to be a working mom and uh, wasn't going to leave us alone uh, all the time. That's what my father wanted, and that's what they agreed to. Of course, by the time uh, she was going to get back into it, my father got sick. Sound take 833. Bogart and Bacall were going to appear together in the romantic comedy Melville Goodwin, USA. In January of 1956, they reported to Warner Brothers for wardrobe tests, but they never got to make the film. The cause of a persistent cough turned out to be cancer of the esophagus. In February, Bogart was operated on at Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles. The prognosis wasn't good. Even though they tried to keep Bogie's condition quiet, the word slowly got out. When we learned that Bogie was ill, probably terminally ill, there was such sadness in this whole business. But if you knew Bogie, you really didn't believe that this was a terminal illness because we all believed that Bogie in person was as strong in person as he was that character that we saw on the screen and he could conquer anything, he could do anything. Lauren Bacall was very warm, and I want to say a word about her now because many movie stars, when the going gets tough, kind of vanish from the scene. But when he was dying of cancer, she stayed in there. And I have a great deal of admiration for the way she comforted him and took care of him in a rather lengthy death that was sad and painful. Well, it wasn't fun. 
I'll tell you that. I mean, you know, you have someone dying upstairs and it happens to be your father. That's not a good way to live for a year. I didn't really get to see him that much at the end because he didn't want me to see him like that or whatever. I remember him in bed a couple times and, and in the, uh, you know, coming down the dumbwaiter in a chair. But, but that last year, it's difficult to remember. After several months out of the public eye, Humphrey Bogart passed away at home on January 14, 1957. His funeral turned into a major Hollywood media event. A parade of stars made their way through the public and press to pay their respects. Where a casket would normally be stood a model of his beloved boat, the Santana. He wanted to be cremated, which he was, and have his ashes buried at sea. But for some reason, it wasn't legal to do that. I have no idea why. It seems like kind of an innocuous thing. So he's at Forest Lawn, where he remains today, under lock and key. My mother has the key. He was the first of the superstar celebrities to die before their time. Like Marilyn and Elvis, who would follow, Bogart was destined to become an icon. When you die young, in your glory, the way you became popular, the way you became a big star, and you disappear looking like that, you're more apt to go down in history as that, aren't you? Over the last few decades, images of Bogart have again permeated our culture. It was really Woody Allen's Played Against Sam in 1972 that revived him as a great star and as a legend. And so he became forever after associated with that trench-coated figure that Woody Allen creates for the film. Often, it has been up to Bogart impersonators, like actor Robert Saki, to bring him back to life. He's looking at you, kid. And somehow, Bogey, the tough guy, the gangster, the bad boy, has become sought after as a straight-talking commercial spokesman for everything from a new line of furniture to watches. In his movies, he always was the guy that didn't want to screw another guy. You know, it was a fair deal, a handshake, you know, and things like that. So he has a lot of credibility as a spokesman for a product. With the continued interest in his old movies, the endless stream of images and advertising and pop culture, Bogart seems to be here to stay. And with the continuing advancements in computer imaging, who knows how long it will be before Bogart stars in his next film. Humphrey Bogart, the movie star, lives on, while Bogart, the man, continues to be a fascinating enigma. I think the reason why Bogey has lasted so many years is that we really couldn't figure Bogey out. One minute we knew we had him, next minute he was gone. And I think that's why he's lasted all these years. We never really know who he was. Bogart and Bacall will return next week here on Dime Store Radio Theater. Tune in and follow the story. Well, well, well. It looks like there's an unexpected gift left under the tree this year. And would you look at that? It appears to be a selection from the Christmas Eve episode of Command Performance, 
from 1942. Well, man, for a long time, Jack Benny has been a feuding with Fred Allen. But thousands of you guys in the AEF have commanded that on this Christmas Eve, the feud should be patched up. And right this minute, the Martins and the Coys of Radio are holding a special peace conference in New York. So, hello, New York. Command performance ready for Fred Allen and Jack Benny. And now, ladies and gentlemen, from New York City, we'll bring you two lads who, after a seven-year misunderstanding, have reunited in the spirit of the Christmas season. So here they are, folks, those two entertaining boys, the old vaudeville team of Jack Benny and Fred Allen. Thank you. Uh, pardon me, uh, Mr. Announcer, but I think you have that billing a little uh, wrong. The proper way to announce this act is Fred Allen and Jack Benny. You see, my name comes first. Uh, what do you mean, your name first? Well, if you will remember, Mr. B, I, uh, I paid the room rent today. <laughs> we are not sleeping on the fire escape tonight. Oh, that's right. Introduce us again, Mr. Wells. If you oh, will. Yes. Thank you. <clears throat> so here they are, folks. Those two entertaining boys, the old vaudeville team of Fred Allen and Jack Benny. Thank you. Hey, hey, wait a minute. I just happen to think of something. Uh, Mr. Announcer, my name should come first. Your name? Yeah, you see, I'm the guy that got our tuxedos out of Hawk. Remember? Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. If it right. wasn't for me, you'd be here in your underwear tonight. You uh, wouldn't even be here, Mr. Benny. <laughs> Wait just a minute. I can straighten this whole thing out very easily. Here they are, folks. Those two hams, blue eyes and nasal hazel. Say, <laughs> hey, Jack, people, uh, this is great, isn't it? Three receptions and we haven't done anything yet. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, people are certainly... I, I wanted to get a little joke in here, if you don't mind. Uh, no, no, no. People... <laughs> People are certainly saving their tires these days. You know, I was riding down 42nd Street there this afternoon on a streetcar, and Henry Ford got on. <laughs> Fred. Fred, uh, Fred, wait a minute. Bob Hope just did that joke in Hollywood. Well, I know, Jack, but there's three hours difference in time. That joke didn't even get here yet. <laughs> I thought I thought you were just giving it another chance. You know? <laughs> you know, Freddie, um you know, Freddie, I'm uh <laughs> Freddie, I'm sorry well, that I I'm laughing you're sorry. Play if you're acting, if you're sorry. Terribly sorry that I argued with you over our billing. Well, I'm sorry too, Jackie. After all, this is Christmas Eve. Yes, sir. And Freddie, you know what the greatest thing in the world is today? It isn't money, is it? No, it isn't. And it isn't butter, Jackie. <laughs> and it isn't sugar. No, it isn't sugar, Jackie. I tell you, Fred, the greatest thing in the world today is friendship. You're right, Jack. Friendship. <laughs> If you're ever in a jam, here I am. If you're ever in a mess, S-O-S. If you ever feel so happy you land in jail, I'm your bail. 
ready. Yes, Jack. I understand there's a shortage of fat. Why don't you turn in your head? <laughs> if you're ever up a tree, fall to me, I'm on key. If you're ever down a well, ring my bell. If you're ever lose your teeth and you're out to dine, borrow mine. It's friendship, friendship. Just a perfect friendship. When other friendships have been forgotten, ours will still be great. La 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 la, chop chop chop. Yes, Freddy. I understand there's a shortage of heads. So why don't you turn in one of yours? <laughs> If they ever black your eyes, be wise. If they ever cook your goose, turn me loose. If they ever put a bullet right through your brain, I'll complain. It's friendship. Advice of our lawyers, ladies and gentlemen. We, we return you to Hollywood. And what's this? Nestled near the bottom of our stockings with care, it's a holiday episode of the New Adventures of Nero Wolf. This one entitled. The Slaughtered Santas. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Yes. Uh, yes, I know that in forty-eight hours it's going to be Christmas, but who is this? Who? Look, I'm a big boy now, so. Okay, tonight at eight. Goodbye. What the devil was that? This may come as a shock to you, Mr. Wolf, but that was Santa Claus. You been drinking? Uh huh. The usual, Mill. He's coming to see you at eight. He's got a problem. Indeed. It seems that some low, not to mention murderous character, is going around slaughtering Santa Clauses. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's the bulkiest, bulkiest, smartest, and most unpredictable detective in the world—that chair-born genius, Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. The new adventures of Nero Wolf is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. 
And with only five shopping days left until the big day later this week, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides, pies, or extra LPs, and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. And now, we return you to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. It began earlier than eight, however, the case of the slaughtered Santas. It began, to be precise, on the corner of 34th Street and Carlisle. The hour was close to six, the weather cold, the sky dark. Uh, how you doing, Santa? Uh, I'm freezing to death, officer. Well, it's a cold day. You packing up? Yeah, I guess so. Not many people around anymore. Oh, heading for home and dinner. How was the collection? Well, I, I don't need no armored car, but... A few dozen kids are going to have something for their Christmas stockings. Your competition, the guy in the opposite corner, is already scrambled. <laughs> Probably got low blood pressure. Yeah, give me a hand to get the collection part off the chains, eh? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'll just walk you down the block. Got to phone in. Okay, fine. One Santa still left. Wonder what he's waiting for. <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> Well, watch yourself going down those chimneys tonight, eh? Sure, sure. Well, I'll cut across the avenue here. Be seeing you. Hey, that car coming down the street. Got its lights out. Look out! Hey, Peg. Huh? Never tell you I love you? Oh, it's not me you love. It's a hot soup. Ah, now, you're not the only woman who can cook a dish of soup. Huh? It helps, though. I'm just beginning to thaw out. Yeah, that's a cold corner you play Santa Claus on. Well, don't hurt to make a few bucks. I ain't done so good this past year. Well, maybe the next year it'll be... Oh, well. Besides, I kind of like it, you know. Kids asking questions all day long. Yeah. You know, I wonder how, how they figure the other two Santas at the intersection. Our kids think of only one thing at a time. <laughs> More soup? Sure, You know, uh, one of them other Santas got hit by a car tonight. Oh? Yeah, packed up a few minutes before I did, started crossing the avenue, and bang! You know, hit and run driver. Oh, gosh, that's too bad. Was he hurt? Yes, he was killed. Here's your soup. Oh, with traffic the way it is nowadays... Well, I better take a look at the stew. Somebody's the door. I'll get it, Peg. Okay. Yeah, what? Oh, oh, Mike! Wolf? Yes, Archie? I've been thinking. Good heavens. Oh, I admit it won't bring about a national emergency... But Mr. Wolf, Christmas is only a couple of days away. If you're hinting about your present... No, no, no. I was just imagining you behind a team of reindeer. Your imagination is morbid. You'd make a wonderful Santa Claus. Really? You've got the perfect build for it. Of course, as for character... Archie. Yeah? 
<laughs> Can you picture me scrambling down a chimney? <laughs> well, they might have to build bigger chimneys, but... Uh, there's that, too. However... That is the front door. True. I was thinking... You might see who it is. Well, if nobody's been lying to me on the phone, that'll be Santa Claus. Maybe me. But I haven't decided what I want for Christmas yet, Mr. Wolf. For example, should she be blonde or brunette, tall or short? Archie. On my way. Good evening. I dislike dawdling on anyone's doorstep. Well, stop dawdling. Come in, please. Mr. Wolf has been warned of my arrival. He has. Through here. Uh, Mr. Wolf, this is uh, Santa Claus. My name is Barton. John Barton. How do you do, sir? I have no time for the social graces, Mr. Wolf. I'm about to be murdered. Heard in my house, I have objections. I'm a frightened man, Mr. Wolf. Me? This, this costume you see me in is responsible for it all. Why are you in it? I had a notion it might be, well, entertaining to play Santa Claus in public. I'm a wealthy man, sir. I can afford to have whims. Therefore, I have assumed this masquerade. However, it apparently <laughs> is going to be the death of me. Mr. Barden, you have adequately conveyed an atmosphere and an emotion. I suggest you concentrate on facts now. Very well. I have been acting as Santa Claus for the tuberculosis fund. My station is the corner of 34th Street and Carlisle Avenue. I might add the northeast corner. Why? Because at that intersection there have been two other Santa Clauses. One on the southeast corner and one on the southwest corner. Three Santa Clauses, then, on three corners. Yes, now then. Earlier tonight, the man on the southwest corner started home. He was crossing the avenue when he was run down and killed by an automobile. A regrettable accident. The car was running without lights. It deliberately ran the fellow down and then vanished. Not an accident, Mr. Wolf. You saw this yourself? I did. One Santa Claus dead. The man on the southeast corner got home all right. According to the radio news flash, that's where he was killed. By bullets. Coincidence? Possibly. But I wouldn't want to risk my life on the chance. This is Friday night. In the nature of things, you would have made two more appearances. Very well, Mr. Barton. I'll write you a check as a retainer, then hurry along home. I'm late now. No. I beg your pardon. You will neither hurry home nor notify anyone at your home of your whereabouts. But... Uh, you will remain here until such time as I think it's safe for you to leave. The house is well guarded. I can't do that. In which case, I cannot accept you as a client. I fail to understand. Mr. Barton, it is very easy to murder someone. Avoiding the consequences of such an action is something else again. However, I'm assuming that you're not primarily interested in what happens to your murderer after you're dead? Of course not. Therefore, you remain here. Archie? Yep. First, the corner of 34th and Carlisle, a complete report. But that's nonsense. The corner will be deserted Mr. now. Mr. Barton. You're hiring my intelligence. You will therefore permit me to use it as I see fit. A complete report, Archie. Right, sir. You will then visit Inspector Kramer at headquarters. You will, in whatever manner you find effective, collect all the police information about the two already murdered Santas. Fine. The manner, I think, will be applying a blowtorch to the inspector's toes. Your levity is ill-timed. The inspector is likely to throw me out of my ear. Your problem. My ear... And on your way home, you might stop in at Mr. Barton's place. I don't see any purpose in that. Mr. Barton, there is a basic problem to which we must find an answer. Whether those two men were murdered because they were Santa Clauses, or because their deaths were merely preliminaries to yours. Archie, I suggest haste. Yes, sir. 
And avoid blondes. Hmm? <laughs> I would like you to be home in time for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah? At the price of a cup of coffee? <laughs> you sure you mean coffee? Either you're gonna dig it up or you ain't. Never mind the questions about my personal affairs, see? Oh, I apologize. Here. Two bits. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Don't let me keep you. You're not. 34th in Carlisle, huh? During the day filled with milling throngs and... Hey, that's a nice phrase. I'll have to remember it. Milling throngs. And now, desolate and deserted. Well, that's life. Is that a fact? That's philosophy. Yeah. But for two bits, I don't have to listen to no philosophy, see? Good night, bud. <laughs> Inspectors got company. If all you reporters will shut up and ask your questions one by one, I'll answer. Right. Inspector Kramer, it's true a couple of Santa Clauses have been knocked off tonight? It's true that two men who have been employed as Santa Claus by charitable organizations have been murdered, yes. Any connection between those two guys, or does somebody just hate Santa Claus? Well, so far as we know, there is no connection. That means it could be maybe some kind of maniac who decided he doesn't like Christmas or Santa Claus. Is that right? Uh, the department is investigating along those lines. Like how? Well, we're checking all the local asylums for possible escape lunatics. Yeah, but, Inspector, suppose this nut has never been in an asylum. That'll be all, boys. Oh, but listen, man. I said that'll be all. Now, anything new comes in, you'll get it, understand? A uh, good one. Hello, Inspector. Yeah, I spotted you coming in. What happened? You decided to reform and got a job on a paper? Nope. I'm a public-spirited citizen, that's all. Yeah, I could add a few things to that description with practically no strain at all. Mr. Wolf and I are very sentimental about Christmas. We object to Santa Claus's being killed. Nuts. Oh, Inspector, aren't you in favor of Christmas? I'm in favor of Christmas. I'm in favor of motherhood. I'm in... Leave motherhood out of this. Neither of us are mothers. Our chances of becoming mothers aren't too good either. And furthermore, Okay, would... okay, you're not given. So get out of here. <laughs> Thank you, Inspector. Uh, but, Goodwin, yeah? in case Wolf decides to send me something for Christmas, you know what I wish he'd send me? What? Your head. What did you say? I said my name is Goodwin and it's cold on your doorstep. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't mention your name. I'm Laura Barton. Mrs. Laura Barton? No. Fine. Fine. That is, what relation are you to John Barton? His niece. Why do you ask? Oh, you've got a beautiful voice. Uh, all this marble and no butler? I don't know where Pleasant is. He should be here. Have him but... shot at sunrise. Oh, Laura. Oh, Wayne, this is Mr. Goodwin. I never heard of him. What does he want? Well, I don't Wayne know. Wayne what? Stevens. Uh-huh. Friend of Mr. Barton? Half-brother, but we seem to be doing all the answering. How about your answering some questions, Goodwin? I'll try. Come into the library. What do you want? For Christmas? Uh, erase that. I would like to see Mr. Barton. He's not home. Where is he? Don't you know? 
I wouldn't have come here asking for him if I did, would I? I suppose that's true. What did you want with him? Conversation. About? Anything. You see, I like to talk to rich men. Are you rich? <laughs> I can't play the piano either. You could always learn. But being rich is harder, I found Mr. It. Mr. Goodwin, you must have some reason for coming here. Some reason concerning Uncle. Laura, you're being imaginative. Well, Uncle is late. He's probably still on that street corner playing Santa Claus. He enjoys it. Why bother about I what... I don't know, except... He's never been as late as this? Well, no. Not since he started that masquerade of his. Would you happen to know where the butler is? Out getting drunk, I suspect. He was in the kitchen a little while ago. Disappeared. Pleasant likes to look on the wine when it's red. Or even when it's rye. Uh, no, I take that back. Oh, you do? He prefers Irish whiskey. We don't stock it. Therefore, no, um... too bad. I better run along. Good night, Mr. Stevens. Miss Barton. Good night. Uh, I'll see you out. Prettiest butler I ever saw. Blonde. Now, old Dr. Tidmouse always said, beware of blondes because... Mr. Goodwin, I... Well, I'm waiting. Well, I... Mr. Goodwin, you must know something about Uncle. Something you didn't want to tell us. Makes you think so. Well, otherwise, your visit was just pointless. Let's suppose I know. Now, I might be a kidnapper. Oh, no. My honest brown eyes. Your first name is Archie, isn't it? Archie? Archie Goodwin. Hmm. Goes together nicely, don't you think? You work for Nero Wolf. You're going back to him now? I might be, but then again, I might be going to the movies. I recognized you. Your pictures have been in the papers. Take me with you to see Mr. Wolf. You can trust me. I never trust blondes. Well, that's unfair. Well, no, I don't trust brunettes either. Furthermore, I'm not sure Mr. Wolf would want to see you, so I... Uh... So? So why don't you, uh, trail me home, hmm? Reasoned bleedings from everyone here at Dime Store Radio Theater... And Sheena's Jungle Room. Is that you, Archie? Archie? Where's Santa Claus? Guest room. He was tired. What, uh... I've been trailed home. Me? By a blonde. Phooey. All right, I admit I didn't make any strenuous effort to shake her off, but she trailed... Where is she? Outside. Good. Your report. Oh, but she might freeze to death out there. That's her problem. Your report, Archie. It's short and simple. It would be simple. I haven't got time to resent that. A blonde is dying. As for the report, corner of 34th and Carlisle is a very quiet spot at night. No one was around but a bum who got into me for a quarter. For coffee, he said. You will not put that quarter on the expense account. Stop worrying. That was a private gesture. There were four corners. Corner number one had a dress shop on it. Corner number two, a drugstore with a beautiful redhead in the window, making with a hair rinse. The ad said her name was Noreen, but it didn't give her phone number. Archie. I... <clears throat> Third corner was devoted to a shoe store, and the fourth corner had a bank on it. A bank? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Kind of thought we'd have a pause at that point. Mean something? Inspector Kramer's information consisted oh, of... Oh, you're being coy. Kramer furnished the information the police could find no connection between the two murdered Santas. Except for the fact that they were both playing Santa Claus. Isn't that a little on the obvious side? This is an obvious case. The Barton home, Archie. Uh, marble and old lace. A butler, his name is Pleasant, was among those missing. Among those present, Laura Barton, the old man's niece, and Wayne Stevens, his half-brother. Ah. Yeah, only for Laura. 
Stevens was not at all pretty. It was Laura Barton who followed you here. It was Laura. Archie, uh, go upstairs mm-hmm. and... Oh, now, wait a minute. The girl, the weather, common humanity demands that you have... Louis, you speak for yourself, not humanity. I'm human. On occasion, a debatable point. Very well. Let her in. Oh, thanks. Laura, yes. come in. Laura Barton, Mr. Wolf. How do you do? How much money do you inherit on the death of your uncle? What? That is known as the shock treatment. However, I need an answer. Uh, Uncle isn't dead, is he? That, for the moment, is irrelevant. How much? Half his estate. The other half? Wayne, Uncle's half-brother. Very well. Archie, will you go upstairs and inform Mr. Barton that his niece is here? Uncle is here? On my way. Archie, Mr. Barton. Come in. Mr. Wolf would like you to come downstairs. I suppose he has a reason. Mm-hmm. A blonde reason, your niece. My niece? That's right. She just... Hey, where'd you get that? A man of my wealth finds it safer to carry a revolver. But it's not safe to point it at people, especially for the people. Turn around, Goodwin. But, Mr. Barton, we're protecting you. By letting that girl into the house... If I had the time, I'd be amused, as it is. Archie, you been drunk? Good heaven. Uh-huh. Santa Claus came early. Your head. Which one are you referring to, my own or the one Santa gave me? You had better sit. Nope. No, I had enough trouble getting up a little while ago. I'm staying out of any positions in which I might have to do that again. Mr. Barton is among the missing. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Hit me on the head and use the back exit. I checked with Fritz in the kitchen on the way here. He offered a reason for his peculiar behavior? Laura Barton. So? I, I don't understand. Uncle wouldn't do... Uncle apparently has. He also would appear fancies himself in costume. Well, he used to be very much interested in the stage. He, he acted for a while, a long time ago, till the family objected. Archie? Got it. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. You recite very nicely, Goodwin. This is Kramer. Let me have Wolf, huh? Mr. Wolf? Inspector Kramer. Yes, Inspector? The papers haven't been carrying it, Wolf, but uh, you're working on the Santa Claus case, aren't you? Possibility? You didn't send Goodwin down to headquarters on a possibility. Uh, never mind. We're working on a line down here, Wolf. Now, look, uh, if it doesn't strain your professional ethics, you might be able to help. How? There's a bank on the corner of 34th Street in Carlisle. We got the thought that suppose a gang was preparing to take that bank tomorrow morning. Those Santa Clauses have been on the corner for nearly a week now. They might have noticed something about the bank's routine, guards or what have you, that could interfere with the gang's plan. A mighty ingenious and imaginative thought, Inspector. Hey, you didn't say yes or no. I have at the moment no opinion. That's all you're going to give us? At the moment. However, Inspector, in a very little while, I shall give you... uh, (laughs) The murderer. Archie, Miss Parton will remain here. As for you... Yeah? You return to 34th Street and find our coffee-loving friend. 
You will persuade him in whatever manner you think best to return here with you. Huh? Yes. <laughs> you know, I think it's possible you may be able to put that quarter on the expense account after all. You. What? Oh. Why? I've seen you before. Yeah, I've learned to love the neighborhood. That's why it's going to break my heart. What is? Leaving it with you. With? It's sensitive about having guns pulled on me tonight. Let go of me, will you? Not until I... I tell you that, McGill. Yeah. Gun looks in a lot better shape than you do. You're coming with me. Oh, where? Mr. Wolf would like to see you. Nero Wolf? Yeah. Well, why? He's trying to salvage a quarter. Complete with the... He wouldn't give his name. He did have a gun to it, though. This one. Yes. Archie, you know Miss Barton, of course? Aye. And Mr. Stevens? He joined us a moment ago. Miss Barton thought she'd be happy if he were here. Hello, Stevens. That's not the only reason I came. My brother is still missing. I'm concerned. Yes. You, sir, will you sit down? Watching people stand makes me uncomfortable. I don't have to. You do. Archie is stronger than you are. Mm, all right. Uh, that's better. If you don't mind, Mr. Wolf, I've never been here before, never met you. But you look as though you could handle things. I think my brother's been kidnapped. Possibility we should have to consider. Miss Barton, perhaps you have a theory, too? Well, I don't know. Uncle's been behaving strangely for weeks now. In what way? Well, I'm not sure. Wayne... Well, of course, John's always been a little peculiar, but... I'm afraid I saw nothing especially strange outside of this Santa Claus stunt, of course. I see. Miss Barton, your uncle played Santa Claus all week on one of the corners of 34th Street in Carlisle. I know. On two other corners, two other men indulged in the same activity. Those two other men are now dead. Oh, well, no. wait. Mr. Wolf, you mean they were killed by mistake for Barton? It is true that one man made up of Santa Claus looks very much like any other man's similar costume. But the answer is no. One of the two men was shot in his home after he had removed his costume. Well, then, what connection? Miss Barton, in the event that you wanted to hide a tree, where would you hide it? Hide a tree? Why, I wouldn't even begin to know. If you were very clever, you would hide it in a forest. If you wanted to hide a murder and were very clever, you would adopt the same principle. Wait... You mean that if someone wanted to kill Uncle and didn't want to be suspected, he'd... Go about murdering several people with an ostensible, if lunatic, reason. He would let us say go about killing Santa Clauses. I get it. Then people would think the man he really wanted dead for a special and private reason had been killed for something that didn't point to him. True. That was why two Santa Clauses were murdered tonight. The third Santa Claus, however, the real object of the murderer's attention was luckier or suspicious. He fled. Ah, do I have to hang around here and listen to all this? You do, my unwashed friend. Mr. Barton fled and the murderer was in a quandary. He had, so to speak, invested in two murders merely to make the third one confusing. But he found himself unable to commit that third murder. He couldn't find his victim. 
Could he ask the police to do so? Hardly. But he might try to inveigle a private detective such as myself into the job. Uh, that makes sense, Mr. Wolf. But uh, why would my brother have deliberately fled from your house? Uh, I, I mean, he was protected here, so... But do I make myself clear? Very clear, Mr. Stevens. Archie, that gun you took from the dirty gentleman, you still have it? I still have it. Then would you mind pointing it at Mr. Stevens here until the police remove him? All right, come along, Stevens. Well, that's the end of Mr. Stevens. Inspector Kramer will take good care of him from now on. But now, Mr. Wolf. Laura and me and the refugee from a washcloth over here would still like to know how and why and who was involved. I knew two people had a motive for John Barton's death. Laura Barton and Wayne Stevens. One of them proceeded to kill Santa Clauses in the hope that the police would assume those killings to be the work of a lunatic. The paper certainly hopped on that assumption. Yes. However, John Barton, aware that his life was in danger, escaped his murderer and hid. In this house? No. A man in Santa Claus costume came here and said he was Barton. However, he was an obvious imposter. He proved that by his flight when his niece came here. You mean he could fool you, but he knew he wouldn't be able to fool me, so... Precisely, therefore, was not Barton. Who was it? Who else had disappeared at the propitious moment? The butler, Pleasant. True. I distrust coincidence. Stevens needed an accomplice, hence he sent Pleasant here. And Pleasant would give you a song and dance about Barton's danger and then scram. You'd start investigating, discover Barton was missing, try to find him, and lead Stevens to his victim, huh? I frustrated that part of the plan by insisting on Pleasant's remaining here, which he did until... That part of it's fine. But how did you choose between Laura and Stevens? It was Stevens who knew, without being told, that Barton had been in this house and had fled from it. Yeah, yeah, you yourself mentioned that Stevens had only been here a moment, so you hadn't told him. Obviously, the butler phoned him as soon as he had hit you over the head and escaped. Furthermore, the butler masquerading as Barton had attempted to throw suspicion on Miss Barton. That convinced me of her innocence. Well, you've done it again, Mr. Wolfe, except for one minor detail. You're not very successful at irony, Archie. What minor detail? Where is Barton? In this house. Huh? When did that happen? You arrived home with the gentleman sitting near you. The bum? Wait. Wait a minute. This I ought to be able to figure out myself. Laura said Barton used to be an actor. That's item one, huh? Yes, Archie. Also, why is a supposed tramp hanging around a deserted intersection for handouts? The answer is he wasn't. He was keeping an eye out for trouble he knew was after him. <laughs> oh, so it turns out I gave a quarter to a millionaire. Uncle, your uncle. Well, that is, I... I know, my dear, yes, I'm uncle. <sighs> I did a rather decent job, didn't I? <laughs> no one recognized me. Uh, except, of course, you, Mr. Wolf. Not recognition, Mr. Barton. Logic. Archie, open some beer for us. Yes, sir. Logic, eh? Well, whatever it was, Mr. Wolf, I owe you a good deal. How can I ever repay you? Oddly enough, the answer is simplicity itself. <laughs> Make out a check.
was the night before Sheena's, and all through the jungle room. All the DJs were stirring, making their cocktails go kaboom. The LP bags were hung by the chimney with care, in the hopes that Mr. Fab soon would be there. The crew were all lit, decked out in their best threads, with a band keeping beat on those boss new drumheads. Shangri-La's got a kooky sweater and Barno's sporting a hat, while Jan Turkenberg has the dance moves down pat. When out on the turntables, Chris O. spun a platter. We all sprung to our feet and danced like mad hatters. Then in through the door with a significant flash, flew in Don Bowles with a huge LP stash. Rich in Washington added another hour to his show with a holiday double feature programmed by Don O. When, what to our Hepcat eyeballs should appear? But an overdressed Mr. Fab, with all the other DJs, never fear. On the dance floor he was so lively and quick, as we all grooved and frugged to surf songs so slick. It seemed like the tunes all had obscure fame, yet every single one of us knew them all by name. Everybody brought food, there were plenty of fixins, and when it came to drinks, we were all nearly six in, to the top of the porch, and all through the halls, our DJs were always heard by one and all. Alex Kish and Julie, with Mike Rogers himself, I see Space Brother flipping through records on that shelf, Jamie Jazz and Catherine Sage, both shaking their heads, at the terrible pun that I, for some reason, just said. Hysterica just got here, but they seem to fit right in. And we're laughing at the choices by DJ Kratoven. Georgie Girl is the peak of fashion and style. And Derek showed up with another record pile. John Nelson and Mark Time are both learning to twerk, while Miss May and Flannery chat in the kitchen and lurk. Sarcophagi and Daryl both like to pose. While Speedo and John P. trade DJ tips like old pros, DJ Babs and M.H. Lee both began to whistle. And you know we all got the It's All Night epistle. We heard Mr. Fab exclaim, quite loud and quite bright, This year we dance to Sheena's all day and all night. From everyone here in the Mid Valley, those stationed in the Lava Lamp Lounge itself, the production crew here at Dime Store Radio Theatre and Mid Valley Mutations, and all the volunteers at Sheena's Jungle Room, we wish you a sappy Hollandaise and plenty of new music throughout the coming year. Now, time to get my freak on. Latest skaters. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout 
This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Larry Dobkin as Archie Goodwin and Howard McNear, Grace Lennard, Vic Rodman, Herbert Butterfield, Bill Johnstone, Gene Bates, and Bob Bruce. Don Stanley speaking. You have been listening to Dime Store Radio Theater on Sheena's Jungle Room. Brought to you by Mid-Valley Mutations. We hope to see you again next week. Until then, be seeing you. Thank you.